Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Just learn the lines do it well that's all you can do because a casting director director producer is going to know within 30 seconds whether you're right for the project or not Hello, listener, and welcome. Welcome, welcome, listener, to another episode of In the Envelope. I hope this finds you well wherever you are listening to this in the world. I hope you are safe and feeling ready to be fulfilled and inspired by great acting advice from a great actor, perhaps. Um, Today's guest is the very talented Olivia Cook who stars in the new Amazon movie, Sound of Metal. Check out today's episode description and um, the article on Backstage.com for this episode to read an interview with her co-star, Riz Ahmed. Olivia is, is, is great in everything she does, and this interview scratches the surface of how she does so, and we're going to get right to it. She has great audition advice. She talks about accents. This is a Manchester, England-born actress who you would never tell has any kind of Manchester accent because of her incredible accent work. I was able to ask her about crying. If you are an actor looking for the secrets to crying, Olivia has some great tips. Um, And we even talked about things like scream singing and the outside-in approach of playing somebody like a heavy metal rocker like she plays in Sound of Metal. But anyway, I'm also here looking at uh, backstage.com slash magazine slash category slash awards, the awards homepage at Backstage, uh, where I, as awards editor, spend a lot of time on this awards webpage, and I encourage you to do so as well. The features alone are always worth checking out, but especially these days, we have all of our content going out to the SAG nominating committee. Even those of you who are not in SAG nominating committee or not in SAG, there's a lot of great stuff here. Of course, every podcast episode is listed here. We have the letter from the awards editor here. Pinned to the top of this page is your updated 2021 award season calendar, which is very helpful for me to reference all the time. Anyway, check out backstage.com if you're not checking that out regularly. I don't know what to tell you, but um, let's get to this interview with Olivia and then do stick around to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider, to really keep your finger on the pulse of all things happening over at Backstage. It's a very, very exciting time over at backstage.com. That's enough of my rambling. Let's take a quick break and then get to this interview. Sponsors of this In the Envelope episode include Amazon Studios and the original movie Sound of Metal. Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook star in the story of a drummer challenged to accept his new world of silence after he abruptly loses his hearing, in what Vogue celebrates as an acting tour de force and an elegant and emotional portrait of disability, addiction, and survival. 
for your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture, now streaming on Prime Video. Hailing from Manchester and bit by the acting bug early, Olivia Cook worked in BBC miniseries before breaking out in The Quiet Ones, then the psycho prequel series Bates Motel. She's turned in phenomenal performances in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, Thoroughbreds, Ready Player One, Vanity Fair, and this past year, Pixie, Little Fish, and Darius Martyr's Amazon Studios film Sound of Metal opposite Riz Ahmed. Here is the talented Olivia Cook. Hi, welcome. Hello. So what is doing press like? Is this at all normal? Is this, are you used to this, doing press this way at all? I guess now, <laughs> like that first started, you know, in September, October, last mm. in 2020, doing Zooms and just being going cross-eyed, staring at your, your computer screen. Totally. But I, I don't find press comfortable on the best of days anyway, because I'm always, <laughs> like, worried about what I've said. Always my first answer is never what I want to come out of my mouth. And so then I'm lying in bed at night being like, well, that's going to be a headline. That's going to be a headline. Oh. You, didn't, you know. So I do know, yeah. I'm always a bit squeaky bum <laughs> in what I'm going to say. <laughs> well, having watched, uh, I mean, of course, I've seen many of your interviews and... Uh, at Backstage, we are all about craft and career advice and asking about nerdy, actorly stuff, which I oh, know right. you enjoy talking about. Yeah, love it, even though I don't really have... <laughs> I don't really feel like I'm an authority well, on the process, but I'll give it a good sure. go. Sure, yeah. Um, are you familiar with Backstage at all? Yeah, I, I, you've got a magazine, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to read that when I was in New York. Okay, oh, cool. But yeah, you, were, you weren't, were you perusing it for casting notices or no? Not at that time, because luckily I was, I was employed. Yes. Um, yes. But no, just a little, little peek through what was going on, the, the shows that I should be seeing and Perfect. all that bits and bobs. That's great. You really, you really were a New Yorker. You really were a New York actor. I know. I felt like a, I felt like a New York, New York and New York actor. I feel oh. like I've shed that skin yeah. now, but I did feel like a proper New Yorker. Hmm. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. This is so great. I'm, I'm so, I'm such a fan and, um, I'd love to hear about, like, we always ask this, like, it's such a big question, but like why acting or maybe when it sounds like acting for you has been since you were a kid, this was the thing you wanted to do. Yeah. In a way I started, well, first of all, like my mom was just at a loss of what to do with me. So I was put into (laughs) ballet Apparently I was too bossy for that, uh. which now I would, you know, would be very stereotypically bossy back at anyone trying to call me bossy. Um, <laughs> right. But, and then gymnastics, and that didn't really stick. And then there was this um, this youth theatre group that came to my town um, that I started to do when I was eight. And that just stuck. I mean, I mm. met all my best mates from there and my best mate had an agent in Manchester, a local talent agent. And so when I was 14, I auditioned for that. Mm. And then there was a casting director next door to the agency that w- would get me in for bits and bobs and it was never quite right, but she always used to f- fight for me. Um, mm. And then when I was 18, 
I was cast in a BBC drama. Right. So it was always something that I wanted to do, but I never thought that I would be able to access it because I thought people that sounded like me would just end up on a soap. Oh, okay. Like a soap opera, like a Coronation Street or Emmerdale, and those are very big here. Mm. Um, but I'd only really heard people from my background, working-class background, and with my accent, ending up on sure. those and being on those for years and years. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I just... I would have wanted to go down the theatre route more okay. um, and train, and that was all my best mates who were a year older than me, which felt like a, you know, a massive gap when you're a kid. Mm. Um, they were all talking about drama school and their speeches and what they were going to do, and I didn't really have a clue what I was going to do, but I just wanted to copy them. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden I got these roles just because I was sort of in the right place, right time, said yes to things, and sure. was... Had a, had a, an amount of self confidence um, that enabled me to do these things to a an okay degree. I mean, mm-hmm. I would I'd, be, I'd cringe watching anything back that I did when I was eighteen. Right. But, um, but it just it just ended up working like that. It wasn't anything that I really game planned or mm. or thought was a shoe in. It truly felt really out of the blue, but, oh, God, I'm so happy that it did happen. Sure. Like, you knew it was a daunting, uh, it's a unlikely profession. I mean, it's a difficult profession to find success in. You knew that. Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But had, an, had the right amount of arrogance yeah. at 18, <laughs> being like, well, mother, I'll work in McDonald's, I don't care, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And was the goal theatre? I mean, I know that at one point you wanted to go to a, a drama programme. Yeah, so I auditioned for drama school thinking that I needed, and this was after I did two BBC dramas. Okay. Um, and, and then had an agent in London. And even though she was like, are you still thinking about auditioning for drama school? Because that's going to take you mm-hmm. out for three years. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I need to be formally trained. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't get in. Right. Just didn't get in. Right. So <laughs> yeah. auditioned, yeah, didn't it get decides in. For and you. then I... Yeah, it decided for me, but thank God, because <laughs> I just wouldn't have had the career that I've had. And even though at points I've craved having those three years to just flail and fail mm. and make an arse out of myself without having as many eyes on me. Mm. And to, like, you know, go through just... um growing pains and personal sure. anxieties without having to work mm. on top of that that would have been nice but it all it all happens for a reason and, yeah. I'm, and I'm the person that I am today because of those things so sure yeah I love that flailing and failing um which for those who go right into kind of the tv and then film career is it safe to call it like on the job training like you learned on the job Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, had to. And also, like, I had amazing teachers who I was acting opposite that were my were my um, pillars of knowledge. You know, like my first film was with Jared Harris Mm -hmm. when I was 18 and he's Mm -hmm. incredible and also such a silly, playful man as well. So having someone like that who you perceive to be a very um, serious Mm -hmm. 
actor, which he is when it comes to the text. Mm. But outside of that, you can just be playful and be lovely and create this this um, company of actors that all cherish each other and value each other. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It's, there's never been a point where I've never not felt lucky to be doing mm. what I'm doing and to have yeah. worked with those people. Because, totally. you know, sometimes it feels like, you know, I do have a bit of imposter syndrome yes. when it comes to that stuff. Which we love hearing about. I mean, that is a common theme on this podcast. <laughs> There's no actor out there who's, I don't know, who hasn't experienced that at some point. No artist. Oh, probably. my God. I'm sure this some that have been like, no, no, I deserve this. <laughs> so there, I think I've met some. Yeah, I think I've met some that have been like, this has all been in my plan. <laughs> this is my plan. Yeah. Um, it is sort of interesting to, first of all, I was definitely going to ask, I, cause I think especially for impressionable young actors who are th- kind of thrown into the deep end, it is that you find mentors in your co-stars and in these other actors. Was there other, other examples? Like you took that from Jared Harris. Were there other examples earlier that you maybe techniques or secrets that like you still find yourself using today? <sighs> I feel like my technique changes every mm. set that I'm on, depending on the director and the actors that I'm around. I feel like I'm quite malleable mm-hmm. in that sense, which I actually guess is a good thing, having been on different sets as a as a as a te- like a um, a young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, Vera Farmiga, who had this amazing ability to be telling a joke one second, they say action, and she's in floods of tears the next. Uh, yeah. But there's something in that that I think I've taken on. Not that I'm, like, an amazing actor in that sense, but <laughs> where to stay in the emotion mm. all day is just too fatiguing. Gotcha. Like you'll, you'll burn yourself out. You need to have some levity. And if that means just, you know, a minute before they say action, you take yourself off and get yourself into the mode, but you can't stay in it for a long period of time. Because if that... if if you're playing a role that is inherently tragic, you're going to be doing that for 30 days or more. Yeah. And you're just going to burn yourself out. And the audience never knows that you've put yourself through the ringer in order to have that performance. Mm. You know? Right. The audience is not seeing the goofy jokes between takes that might be helping you get to the serious bits. They're just seeing the serious bits. So Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you don't need to... Yeah. I mean, maybe some actors do need that, but I, I think I feel like the best actors that I've worked with mm. have this playful side mm-hmm. as as a distraction from the the harrowing performance that they're about to give. Right, harrowing. Yes. Yeah. There's yeah. There's only um, there's only so many amount, many amounts of tears that you can spurt. Absolutely. As well. Oh yeah, physically, it's a physical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Physiological. Yeah, you'll be dehydrated. Absolutely. Crying all day. Absolutely. <laughs> That's so true. And we actually love asking. Like, it's such a. I feels always feels like such a cheap question. But are there secrets to crying? Do you have a philosophy on how to do, how to do it? Because some people say, "Oh, I don't want to try to cry. I want to try to not cry." Not cry. Yeah. 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 I feel. I think in anything, when you see someone cry, they're always really embarrassed to be crying. Oh sure. Mm. So. When I see, when I see a performance where it's very like you know it's it's quite laid bare, 
you know, if you're if you're on your own in a room, you can let the tears flow and it's fine. You don't really care who's oh. around. But if you're in front of someone and you're crying, you're wiping them away as quickly as possible and you're trying so hard and it's all in the lip tremble, it's all in your throat, really. It's in the voice and and barely ever do you see the tears roll let down, go. all the way down your face. Mm. So when I do see a performance where it is just about like, look, I'm crying, I, I, I do call bullshit. Yeah, you lot. can detect just like, the bullshit. You're just, yeah, yeah. Like, you're just doing, that's quite self-serving. Sure. That, so I do, I do try and keep with me just, and I think with just in me, like whenever I'm embarrassed and feel just exposed, I feel close to crying. Yeah. So I think that's quite, in quite, that's tied quite closely together mm. in crying, the embarrassment, the embarrassment and crying just, and then sort of trying to hide the facts that I've, been brought up to such emotion and, and wiping them away as quickly mm. as possible. Crying is not just but, about sadness. There's also so many other emotions, including, yeah, shame, for sure. God, yeah, yeah. shame's a massive one. And I think something that especially, I mean, everyone, everyone has so much shame that they're dealing with on a daily basis. Yes. And that's a real trigger that I mean if you want to delve into that in order for you to cry then but hopefully the scripts is good enough mm. to to jerk it for you sure oh, jerk it sorry that was a horrible <laughs> turn of phrase to use as, as a, it's a tearjerker you know? yeah exactly yeah um so are there things that, that happen every time I mean you've worked as you say it is sort of like starting from scratch for each role you've also worked mm. in so many different genres like I often ask, is horror its own school of acting or is it really just depending on the script and like the director? I think it's so dependent on the, mm. the director, the script and the set and the environment of the set. Because mm, cool. I've done I've done a few horrors and, and things that have been suspenseful and sometimes we've had a really difficult time of keeping it together because we've been pissing ourselves at the <laughs> just the ridiculousness of the scene sure or you've got the director who's doing sound effects off camera and you're just like oh please we'll just act it you don't need to do that because <laughs> you're just sending us under um and then sometimes it's been just incredibly um tense and and whether that's because the subject matter is is scary which has been on some occasions when the scene you've had, you know, like this terrifying ghost mm. girl that's scuttling towards you and you've got to get out of the attic as fast as possible and you're literally like, I'm I'm going to die. Mm. Um, or just the producer's on set and you've already gone through like three weeks of reshoots and he doesn't feel like the, oh. the scene or the movie is a hit or it's scary enough. And so there's that <laughs> sort of atmosphere on set. Right. I feel like all working actors have to deal with both those circumstances of, of they're not always working in the most ideal surroundings. You got to learn how to yeah. deliver anyway. <laughs> I think what I've found that I do, I kind of disassociate a little bit and go into like inner Olivia and cut off what's around me in order to mm. make sure that I'm focused for my performance. Cause there's just so much going on around you and you're managing different people's expectations and their mm. emotions and also, you know, they may have just been shouted at by a producer sure. or someone. And 
you know, tension's running high and so you've just got to kind of preserve your own mm-hmm. performance as much as possible because at the end of the day, that's what's going to be on screen. Right. Do you um, watch her performances? Um, do you watch them as you're filming and then afterward? You don't? No. No, no, no. I watch oh. them when they're, they're on when I've been given a screener or like I've, okay. I've, I've, they're on the, 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 at the cinema um, just because I think, well, I just know I've, when I've been shown the monitor before mm-hmm. by a director, I'm just, I'm looking at the way I look. I'm looking at my chins. I'm looking at, oh, why did I do that face? I'm looking <laughs> sure. at, um, you know, the the flurry of acne on my forehead. I'm not looking at, my performance sure. or the way the shot looks and so I just find it hmm. so distracting hmm. and also it takes you out of the the moment and the scene because all of a sudden it doesn't feel as real to you and you remember the objective you're making a film and you're 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 ah. aware that's going to be seen again and so the illusion kind of is dimmed for me oh the illusion that's so cool because then it's like you're taken out of your imagination of um, mm. I'm here inhabiting this character, not telling a story <laughs> rather than the meta element of like, I'm telling a story because I'm in a movie. You don't want that. Yeah. No, 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 you don't want that at all. And also like, what if you think he looks bad? Right. Like what they've done, like that's going <laughs> to <that's gonna> throw you. <laughs> yeah, better to live in the illusion during filming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. It's not my job. True. No, true. Your job is just to give the best take and, and probably to inhabit the character. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your job is to inhabit mm. character, to tell that person's yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Unless you have more of a um, more of a role of a producer or mm-hmm. a director or you wrote the thing. But I think when I'm hired as just an actor, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave everything else at the door unless they genuinely right. ask my opinion because you know what if they yeah you know with this job as well when people ask for your opinion you 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 wonder whether all they want is for you to say oh my god it's great amazing well done Uh and if you don't have that reaction genuinely reaction yeah i don't want to that's so interesting sound like i'm on everything but (laughs) do you know know what i mean yes because that question is asked all the time right everyone's always checking in with each other like is this any good is this any good and you want to be honest, but you uh, don't want to rain on anybody's parade and <laughs> hinder yeah, the collaboration. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you about collaboration in terms of, I suppose, behind the camera too, but you're such an, you're such an amazing listener and scene partner. Um, and in fact, I, sh- I need to ask you about Sound of Metal and the listening that was going on, the relationship that you formed with Riz. Um, do you have like a philosophy? Like what is your, you're an on-the-job training actor. What do you think is, like, what is reacting to you? I'm of the school of my performance is always going to be better when the camera's not on me. I'm not one of those people mm-hmm. that saves up my performance until the camera oh. is is pointed in my direction. I want, I want the person in front of me to be giving the most incredible performance. So if there's anything that I can do to help that process, I'm mm. going to be there, right there with them. If if that means that, like, like it's made me cry and then I suddenly can't cry for my next, it's fine because there's, there's, there's a there's a electricity to the scene that wouldn't be there if I'm giving them a flat performance. Totally. So 
Does that answer your question? It does. That's actually such an amazing way of putting it. Like if you, if you consider yourself more of a, more of a reactor than an actor, then like, yeah, your job is to help. Your job is to help Riz in this movie. Your job was to help his performance, enhance his performance. And then hopefully they've seen that, oh, you know what, like, they gave me so much on my take. I'm going to do the same for them. You know, of course. Yeah. a bit of kindness it always <laughs> comes back around in some way. Totally. Um, and with, with something like this, like you, you've also, I assume, done lots of rehearsing with this person or like getting to know them as a person. And maybe mm. even did you guys kind of create a backstory? Because if it's not spelled out in the script, like did you two fill in blanks? Oh God, yeah. We okay. had an incredibly in-depth backstory and... We'd rehearsed together as a band for two months before That's so cool. we started shooting, which was so cool. So cool. So, you know, Riz had six months learning how to play the drums. <laughs> and then I came in six weeks before we started shooting and quickly had to learn the guitar and how to loop. And then hmm. we were both put together and we started, um, yeah, rehearsing as a band and screaming. So all these kind of nerves and adrenaline... Mm. was happened completely in sync and we had a lot of time with Darius the director and then a lot of time on our own where we would talk about our backstory in the band and how we met and how our relationship came to be and what that relationship was like together um yeah it was really and you never get that time especially in an independent movie you never get that time right and I feel like it does make the performances and the story, even though it's not explicit, what happened mm. with us, just that much richer. Yeah, because that's so often the case that you, as actors, don't have as much time to, you would prefer to really do the research and to really do the backstory. And also just to like, is building trust, is part of the purpose of like working with Riz that closely for so long, building trust so that when you can do the reacting shots, mm. you're, you're there being generous with each other. Yeah, there's a confidence and mm. you're, the relationship's embedded intrinsically, so you don't really have to think about it anymore because mm. you know this person and you know what you've both been through as these characters. And, yeah, it just it makes your job ten times easier. Right. Totally. Um, what about scream singing? How does it work? <laughs> just scream. <laughs> Literally just scream. But Und how many about- takes do you do? seven until okay. your voice just gives up. <laughs> okay. No, because the woman who taught me how to to scream and play the guitar and do all that stuff, she said to Daria, she was like, she's only going to have, you know, seven oh, okay. takes. It was planned. Eight max. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so gotcha. try not to, like, get your camera movements and everything else quite precise. Interesting. After that. Because this is not a musical where done. you can pre-record and then lip sync. And Darius didn't want that at no. all. He wanted it to feel so real and so gnarly to the point where he had um, the audience reacting as loud and as and as mm. um, frantically as possible as well, which is so cool. So cool. That we played a proper concert. Yeah. Um, which I'll never get to do again. But gosh, <laughs> no. yeah, nerve wracking. Sure. Well, it also speaks to what you were saying about the environment, like that um, and the adrenaline, because the adrenaline of mm. that live concert, that must... It's got to inform the performance. I'm sure it was like designed to inform how to deliver a, con- a metal concert. Yeah. And the way Darius wanted to work is that he wanted everything to feel 
as real as possible. He didn't want to compromise mm-hmm. or do any like trickery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a way that I've never really worked before, if I think back, because um, we shot it all in chronological order. So oh, okay. when I leave to go to France, that is when I left the set. And I didn't see them again until they were both, we were both in Europe shooting the ending of the film. Um, Crazy. Which is just, it's just, a, it's just a gift. And, you know, you're not having to, as Olivia, remember, emotionally remember where exactly. I've just been yeah. or what comes after this or what came before because we're just living it in, in real time. Mm. Sponsors of this In the Envelope episode include Amazon Studios and the original movie Sound of Metal. Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook star in the story of a drummer challenged to accept his new world of silence after he abruptly loses his hearing, in what Vogue celebrates as an acting tour de force and an elegant and emotional portrait of disability, addiction, and survival. For your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture, now streaming on Prime Video. I have to ask also about accents. I mean, speaking of mm. voice and scream singing, <laughs> I guess that's a separate conversation. But um, you've sp- you are a whiz. You're so you're you're basically. I think most audiences would identify you as American. So, are there secrets? <laughs> like, what is what is your approach to dialect work? I'm I'm not a whizzy. I think I actually find it quite hard. <laughs> okay, but I've I have a dialect coach and I've, mm-hmm. I've used a few and they've all been wonderful um but I'm okay I think I mean I've not done it for a while now so maybe I'd have to if I did an American mm-hmm. job I'd have, probably have to use a dialect coach again but it's hard because once you're out of it you've lost the the, the muscle memory of an accent really? and where you place your tongue and 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 how much space you have in the back of the throat. Luckily, I think where my placement is, as me talking, is mm. quite similar to where you place your accent for like a general American. So it's all oh, quite wow. in the back of the throat. It's quite open in the back as well. So I find American quite easy just to switch into. Okay. I think I picked that up quite easily. But mm. received pronunciation, Lund, like RP, London, I find really difficult. Sure. Because it's almost too close to home, but all at the front of the mouth where right. I talk at the back. Interesting. And then Irish, there's so many different dialects and you mm. have to be so specific mm. when you choose one. Otherwise, you'll have the wrath of the Irish on you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you never want that. Um, and so that's quite, that's that was a, that's a really hard accent to do well. I have found. you also had to think about time period and how an accent is affected by, because a London, Be- Becky Sharp, for example, mm. is um, it's not today's. It's not any accents that would be around today. I assume. No, but it's also. I think an accent back in those times would be so different and so so off compared to what we know as like a received pronunciation because that was so highly. Mm. Um, um, skewed by the birth of the radio and the general public hearing the Queen and King speak gotcha. for the first time. Mm-hmm. So mm. I think if I start, I don't, I don't even, because there was no recordings, we don't really know what totally. they totally. sounded like. And with Becky Sharp, with Vanity Fair, when we did it, I wanted it to be a bit estuary, so like a bit more modern. 
Oh, okay. In in order sure. so in order for it to be a bit more accessible to gotcha. a modern audience, and also it helps the character because I never wanted it to be too arched or too too period dramery. Uh-huh. You know, I wanted her to be able to move within the corset and like slouch and also be a bit more expressive. And when once you've got that really arched received pronunciation, that sort of accent, I find it hard to kind of move gotcha. within that. Gotcha. So the the character the character building is the main focus, and accent is like one puzzle piece in that, rather than the whole basis or a starting point. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. As for, and for the American roles too. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's like seventy percent. You know, finding the accent is key to where they're from, what the people like there, what is sure. the socioeconomic background. Hmm. But. But yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I put a lot of pressure on myself, I think, because sure. <laughs> my own accent is so specific. And hearing <laughs> I'm from um, a working class background from a northwest town called Oldham, mm-hmm. and that's got its own accent. Gotcha. And so hearing that done badly, I would be on, on, um, you know, on their heels. So um, yeah. I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to oh. try as to my best and to, Totally. That's all you can do, really. It's all that's really asked of me to learn lines and do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Well, it also goes back to like I imagine for Vanity Fair, the the idea of surroundings. Like, how much of an outside in approach do you do? Or even for Sound of Metal, I was thinking about your strange, you know, heavy metal haircut and your bleached eyebrows. Like, not necessarily the things that you can do in preparation, right? Like, you show up on set and you are given a costume, and that then informs the character. Like, does that influence things for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think makeup, hair, costume, accent, the way you walk, um, Mm. having, you know, a really open dialogue with a director to find out your backstory, how we Mm -hmm. got to this moment in which the audience is introduced to these characters really, really helps. Um, Otherwise, you're just, you're coming in as you and you're wearing funny clothes and it all feels <laughs> odd and uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, you've got, yeah. to, you've got to convince yourself, otherwise that otherwise it's just really embarrassing. Like, what are you doing? You've got to you convince know? yourself, yes. Going back to this idea of, like, the illusion. You want to live in the illusion. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. I think when I was younger, I believed that going on to do a film set was like Never Neverland. So it meant, uh-huh. like... I could ignore doing my taxes. I could ignore the phone calls from my mum. I could just be away in this in this world. But, you know, then you'd be met three months later with the onslaught of, you know, <laughs> friends that have been hurt, that you've not returned their calls, and mum that's worried about you and your, your accountant being like, where were you in, you know, May of 2019, you know? <laughs> but now I've gotten older, I've realised that, you know, it's less about that being so all-encompassing it's more about this is your life as well and what can you do to make this life as rich as possible and I'm so lucky to be able to delve in and dip my toe into these different Mm. characters but you don't have to live it you don't have to ignore the real world as well because actually that (laughs) is quite informative sometimes and is helpful sure sure like a like a work-life balance almost yeah yeah. You take, but it's you... intoxicating, isn't it? You oh, can sure. sometimes get really just 
like when I was 19 and I was in like Albuquerque, I was like, oh my God, I'm living the life, you know? Right. Um, and then you realize that, no, Olivia, you need to have more of a healthy perspective. Right. Just use, use that, but only to an extent almost. Yeah. 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 Um, I have to ask about auditions too. And I don't even know how many recent auditions you've done, but does everything you just said about process apply also to auditions? Cause it often can't, you don't have the time mm. or you can't work with a dialect coach for weeks and weeks or whatever. So you're throwing something together. Like what is your audition philosophy? I prefer to be in the room, I think. Uh-huh. Oh. I think you get a, a, a lot, I mean, you can't in COVID, so a lot of it's been self-taped, but right. when you do have the option to go into the room, you get a sense for them. They get a sense of you. Yeah, It's a, a much warmer atmosphere, hopefully. Or you can set a warm atmosphere. You can go in and, and, and mm. you, can, you can dominate the narrative of the audition. You don't have to let them take all the power. But when you're sending off a self-tape, it's quite a cold read and you have to, you put a lot of pressure onto that one performance. And, Mm. you know, having been on the other side of that and Mm. had casting approval at different times in my career and knowing that you're probably going to watch 30 seconds to a minute Mm. of these tapes. Of hundreds. Of hundreds. And also you'll you'll have a gut feeling in those mm. 30 to 30 seconds to a minute tapes mm. actually took some of the pressure off mm. totally. because it's one of those things like if you're not right for the character you're not right all you can do is learn your lines do a bit of um research you mm-hmm. don't have to read the book in order to um do an audition that's mm. not necessarily you're just giving yourself too much added pressure and more work right um you know and also remember you're not getting paid so you don't need unless you really want to read the book right right but they're asking you to take off a day of your life when either you've got another job that you've Mm. had to take a day or or you've had to rope in your mate so there's two of you that are taking time away from your lives in order to do this audition Mm. just learn the lines do it well. That's all you can do because a casting director, director, producer is going to know within 30 seconds whether Amazing. you're right for the project or not. That's a great way of putting it. I mean, the, the idea that um, it's almost like you're doing them a favor. Actors who audition mm. aren't getting paid. It's part yeah. of the gig, but it's not part of the paid gig. <laughs> and also you're not, they're not owing you anything either. So, mm. you know, you've done, you've taken a a day to do this audition tape and then you're not being told whether it's a yes or a no. Yeah. And so you're in limbo for a long time afterwards thinking about this job or getting excited or getting mm. your hopes up. And I think, you know, a casting director knows within two or three weeks for sure whether yeah. you it's gonna you're gonna be taken to the next mm. stage of auditions or not. It's brutal. It really sounds mm. brutal. Like what is your yeah. how do you how do you deal with the nose, the rejections. <laughs> I think I'm a lot better right now, having had uh-huh. quite a few. <laughs> Remember when I was 19, being just crying my eyes out over not getting this this role that turned out to be an absolute stinker of a job. Um, <laughs> but like on the phone to my agent's assistant, who is now my manager, um, but being like, oh, Josh, I mean, I'm just never going to work again. It's just <laughs> shit. Um, and now looking back at being like, thank f- 
fuck, I didn't get that audition. <laughs> didn't get that job. Um, it all works out. And I think, I think you just, you create a skin like Teflon yeah. at a certain mm. point. Um, and it's not to say that y- you don't really want some jobs and you really vie for them and then you, you know, you go down fantasy lane and you spend all that time in your head on the job in your own fantasy and then it's a no but (laughs) it's just it's always going to be like that it's part and parcel of the job and you've either got to not let it bother you as much or you I think you won't be able to do this job it's too it's too harsh and too blunt sometimes amazing it really it you're totally right that you have to just experience a lot of it in order to deal with it in order to Mm. get used to dealing with it yeah yeah do you act no i mean i i trained i I trained as an actor but i never had the i never had the um the urge to do it professionally i and i think that maybe instinctively i i knew that i didn't want to go through that rejection audition thing but i also knew and this is something we've heard on this podcast a lot you you can't have a plan b as an actor it you're all in on that and for me, mm. I had other interests. And so that's where that's where I, I went. Whereas yeah. I had friends who were single-minded focused. They were going to be an actor or nothing. Like, mm. it sounds like you never had, like, if this doesn't work out, I, I have this other interest. Like, you were all in from the beginning. Yeah, no, no. Because my other, anything else felt like an office job. And I know I didn't want that. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the key to success. If you're half in... If you're if you're trying to do two to, or, or plan A and a plan B at the same time, your odds are not as good mm. in such an uncertain yeah. profession. I think. Yeah, you do have to have some laser beam focus on yeah. this job, otherwise it just gets away from you. Totally. Like, what did you say earlier? Like, uh, just the right amount of arrogance to mm. think that you can succeed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Not too much, otherwise you'll never get a job. But exactly. <laughs> Right. Just like, yeah, the right, the right balance of self-confidence. Slash optimism and yeah. Optimism. Yeah. Arrogance. Definitely. When I was, when I was 18. That's the yeah, thing. Like at God. 18, it's actually maybe it's, uh, it's helpful to have a little bit of the naivete, a little bit of the blind uh, optimism. Oh faith. God. Yeah. And because <laughs> I think about now that I, I just overthink every single mm. decision and when you're 18, you're just going off of gut. Does yeah. it feel right? Does it feel good? All right, let's just do it, you know? Yeah. Mm. And I think that's just the of getting older. You you lose sight of your gut bit by bit. Interesting, bit. yeah. So you have to get back in touch with your inner child sometimes to, yeah. to do the job. Yeah, absolutely. This is all so wonderful. Thank you so much. I have to let you go soon, but also we ask these... Um, maybe silly actorly questions of everyone. Do you have a worst, speaking of auditions, do you have a worst audition horror story that you'd be willing to share? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not terrible. I probably got a really bad one that I can't share, but Mm -hmm. the second, uh, the second one in my mind is I was auditioning for like a Disney movie and I was with the director and he was just shouting at me as I was on the floor, as he was pointing the camera at me, going, Olivia, just be more magic. Be more magic. <sighs> and I was like, I don't know what the f- I'm 
supposed to do. So I was sort of like, like widening my eyes and just like putting my arms by my side and just like being like trying to be like sparkly. <laughs> it was, I was so confused, just screaming at me to be more magic. I'm like, I'm sorry. I've just, I, can't, I don't know what that means. That really speaks to how the notes that actors receive are not always <laughs> good. Clear. <laughs> no. Clear. No. Yeah. I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, what does that mean? Spurt, yeah, like to spurt sparkles out my ass. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> that's a that's a really good one. That's your second worst. That's a good one. That's my second worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a uh, what is one performance that you think every actor should see and why? I, I was going to say Vicky Crepes in Phantom <gasps> Thread. Yes. Just because, like, she's so beautiful and so. Yeah subtle and the way like her skin flushes when she's having an argument with <sighs> Daniel Day-Lewis I don't know how you can mm. bottle that but it's just she's so present with him every step of the way that her body is having these real responses mm. to the situations that she's in and I just thought it was such an incredible performance um and then I think uh I hate Susie Billy Piper's performance okay in yeah that. It's brilliant. I loved it. I loved it. I thought she was just she told the line fantastically with with mm. um this really broad, um, frantic actress, this really um uh heartfelt, raw performance that mm. I thought was really, really well done. Lovely. Do you have yeah. like a favorite um do you have a favorite actor? Do you have a dream co star? Yeah, I have loads, but then I'm always worried about saying them because then I'll be like, well, listen, I've jinxed it now. I'm never going to work with them. Sure. Um, but maybe I'd love to work with Jared Harris again. Oh, sure. I'll say okay. that because I've already worked with him, so I don't, I'm not in fear of jinxing <laughs> it. Um, yeah. But just because he's just so warm and lovely and silly and we had such a good time. Hmm. And, yeah, to work with those actors that are from, like, a theatre background mm-hmm. and they just treat everyone the same mm-hmm. um is just the environment that I always want to put myself in sure plus it's like it would be so interesting to um revisit working with someone having like many many years later you were basically 10 years yeah. yeah yeah that's crazy yeah that would be interesting um speaking of we also ask like if you could go back in time and give your and you've touched on this but that 18-year-old naive self, like, mm. what do you wish you'd known or, you know, not would you change anything, but was there a piece of advice that you wish you'd gotten earlier? To speak up for yourself. Okay. I think, yeah. I think if something doesn't feel right, then don't do it. Mm. Um, and don't let someone take advantage of you just because you're young Mm-hmm. you know yeah. yeah or even um a woman like i think also mm-hmm. there's advice for are you asked for advice for specifically young actresses or young female artists for navigating the biz i just i keep coming back to this idea that we are really at a moment in flux in the world mm-hmm. but specifically in the industry and a lot of ideals are changing what would you tell our listeners who are just starting out who are maybe young female artists navigating the bids? 
Yeah. I'd say to to be kind, but don't be a pushover. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. I know it's, it's that's a short answer, but no, I yeah. think, yeah, trust your gut. Don't be a pushover. That's it. But also treat everyone with respect. Mm-hmm. And they'll treat you with respect, hopefully, if they're a decent person. Right. That's brilliant. That You just tied it up with such a nice little bow. Thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you. I hope. I feel like I just rambled. In That's like exactly what we want. Caffeinated state. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Me too. No, this is great. Um, there's no one piece of advice that's there for everyone. People yeah. can take and kind of cherry pick what works for them. Yeah. I think you've given wonderful advice and there will be people who listen to this who are like, I can take that. I can take that. I'm going to do this oh, in my next so. audition, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. And the bit about auditions, because, you know, especially this past year, I've been helping out so many mates and they've been helping me out. Mm. And it takes so much time to do yeah. something that you're happy with to send off. Yeah, the self-tapes. Yeah, that just, it's too much pressure. Like you're doing them a service. And that's oh, a great way of putting it. I've never quite heard it that way before. Like you you spend, you set a full day, you set up, mm. you set up, you're basically your own director, right? Your own camera person. Mm. Lighting, yeah. sound, all of it. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, everyone's bought ring lights in yeah. lockdown in order to make their yeah their home look a bit more professional. Yeah, you know, it's expensive. It's yeah, um, I know you're definitely not allowed to talk about it, but coming up next is um, House of Dragons. How did you mm. get involved? Was that also? Did you audition? That was about seventeen auditions. Yeah, that was loads. Ah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then you just, months of secrecy. Months of secrecy, right. You can't then yeah. <laughs> have the catharsis of saying I booked it. <laughs> no, no, not all until like it's released. And then like, everyone's like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, well, I just, they probably would have, you know, someone would have come around and, I don't know, bumped me away. And- so difficult with 17 auditions because by, by audition number 16, you've got to be invested in wanting to book it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, you like, I'm there now. Yeah. I'm there. I'm with the dragons. I'm there, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, how many, God, it was a few. It was like four four auditions. And then I was on. I was put on hold for six weeks. Wow. Without a yes or a no. So I was just a bit like, <laughs> I don't know. And you can't talk on. about it. Right. And I can't talk about it to anyone. <laughs> so it was just, yeah, a bit of torture. <laughs> Well, it sounds cool. I mean, I'm sure it'll be quite a while from now that it comes out, but I'm excited to see mm. it. Yeah. 2022 at some point. I don't <laughs> right. know. I feel like I'm always going to be the last to know these things as well. <laughs> sure. I feel that's sure. the way it's going to go with this job. Yeah. That's part of the that's part of the gig. The uncertainty. Yeah. 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 I'm just there to act. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, gosh, thank you. This is so lovely. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi, guys. Christine McKenna-Torella here. Olivia Cook is a rising star, and I always find it so interesting to hear fresh perspectives about acting techniques. 
I loved Vanity Fair that she starred in a few years ago. And if you haven't seen it but enjoyed Bridgerton, it's very much in that style. And I am super excited to see what they do with House of the Dragon. You know that's going to be spectacular. This episode is a continuation of what I've decided to call auditioning at home. So go back to Sarah Paulson, the episode from earlier this week, to get my checklist for self-tapes. Today, I'm going to go through the checklist for pre-screens. And next week, we will discuss what to expect when you're remote auditioning. So pre-screens are a new feature on Backstage, and I'm super excited about this for you guys and for creators and casting directors. If you haven't heard me talk about this yet, basically, when the creator or casting director posts the casting call in addition to asking for the usual headshot resume reel, they can now have the option to ask for a video or audio material that is particular to the audition to be sent to them as part of the application. Either a short side or perhaps they want you to record an introduction of yourself. It'll vary from project to project. We launched this about a month ago and I have to say the feedback on this has been incredible. It's really well received and very popular with our voiceover and commercial projects in particular because those markets move so fast. I know as an actor, it might be a little bit intimidating. You might be thinking that's a lot of work to put in an extra video um, that is particular for the project. But here's the other way to think about it. A headshot on a resume is flat. And quite frankly, I think it's outdated. You feel you're right for the role. You want to audition. You want to be considered. And we at Backstage have found a way for you to get more material to the casting decision makers so you can hopefully take your submission to the next level. Here are my top tips for it. So when you see that there is a pre-screen requirement or request on a job that you want to apply for, you have to act fast but you have to make sure you put in the work. So it's kind of a balancing act, right? Don't sit on it. (laughs) Work on the pre-screen material. Do the homework to prepare and get the application in. But it's a pre-screen, right? So no one will expect it to be perfect, but the more polished it is, the better. So be thoughtful about that application. And as a casting person, I will still apply the rule, as I do with self-tapes, that I know that you have sent me the best take that you have at the moment. Apply the same standard of filming as you would for self-tape, right? So think about your lighting, your audio, your camera angle, you know, a medium shot of yourself so that I can clearly see you do the work. You've got to go back to that Sarah Paulson episode, you know, look at our backstage notes about self-tapes, apply those same rules. Use your phone to record. It's probably the highest resolution, that's the first point, and you want to make sure that your phone is on the horizontal to the side and not vertical. Another thing to note is that this is a pre-screen, so the process could have multiple levels to it. So you're adding a pre-screen, there may be a first audition, there might be a second audition, there might be a callback. If it's a commercial project that's moving fast, maybe they're only looking for that pre-screen. So really put your best foot forward. And finally, pre-screens are optional, but highly encouraged. So if the creative team has asked for it, that means they would really like to consider it as part of your application. So it's tempting to skip over it, but don't. On to some casting regional highlights for this week. 
There is a wear a mask local business campaign looking for 11 actors for a PSA style commercial. Pays very well, but the talent must be able to self-report and work in Washington, D.C. So they have to be local hires for Washington, D.C. Submissions from outside the D.C. area will not be considered. So details on this site for that particular wear a mask campaign. And there is a multiple day shoot in Austin, Texas for an online instructor seeking a male host for a barber instructor course. It's a really awesome creative production company that's behind this particular production uh, and it pays very well. But again, that talent must be local to the Austin, Texas area. That's all from me. Tune in the next episode and we'll discuss virtual live auditions and what to expect. Break a leg in all your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.